Good morning, food lovers and all these many home cooks out there these days. Um, if you're looking to add some zest to your daily routine in the kitchen, and you're listening, of course, to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And we're going to start out by uh, our talking to uh, one of our favorites, Ori Zohar, a burlap and barrel, about some spices you could bring into your kitchen. Uh, we, we're continuing our series of discussions about spices uh, with one of the masters of the, the genre, um, Ori Zohar of Burlap and Barrel. And uh, today, oh. I think, Ori, you said, hey, you, you said that we would be discussing blue turmeric um, from Vietnam or spices from Vietnam plus some ginger and garlic. They're always interesting. And if we have time, yeah. a few more others. Now, tell us about, uh, we, we got the blue turmeric, but it was still the color of turmeric, yellow-orange. Yeah, so blue turmeric, and even it's often called black turmeric, um, you know, where, where it's grown. And we can talk all about Vietnamese, you know, spices. This is all all goes back to, um, the first trip that I ever made to Vietnam, which was part of a sourcing trip with me and my co-founder, Ethan. That was almost two years ago to the day. I'm getting all these like, photo reminders of all the travel that I was doing one year ago, two years ago. Yeah, <laughs> and, then there, and then it's dark after that. <laughs> uh-huh. I, know. Um, I mean, we haven't been anywhere either. And that's, we used to be traveling every single month. Yeah. Now, or, so or Blue Tube, rec- yes, sir. As I, as I recall, you made a special friend in Vietnam. Um, yes, yeah, and t- telling you, so we, so first of all, what was really wonderful in Vietnam is, is a, 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 like elementary school soccer teammate of mine ended up going and working and living in Vietnam and really? ended up starting to, to date uh, a woman who was born and grew up in Vietnam and then they moved back to Baltimore County, which is where I grew up. And when we were flying to Vietnam, we realized that um, English language was not, you know, prevalent in some of the areas that we'd be going to and we're like we have to have somebody with us and she uh-huh. amazingly agreed she's one of the most talented farmers and she's so thoughtful about cultivation she grew up in an area in vietnam known for growing turmeric and so we uh-huh. even ended up staying with her grandmother in central oh, wow. vietnam one of the nights so she came with me and ethan for three weeks 24 hours a day together going from the north to the south of vietnam meeting with spice farmers and that was really phenomenal so what all would I mean, this blue turmeric is, is uh, knock your socks off color. Um, it, but tell us, you, you have problems drying it without having it turn yellow. Oh, right. But tell That's us we about that about and tell us about beginning. what other spices you found in Vietnam. Yes, absolutely. So in Vietnam, so in, in, in Vietnam they grew this blue turmeric, which we'd never seen something like this before. But when it comes out of the ground, it's got this, like, bright blue turmeric, almost like this neon blue color that comes out of the ground. In the same way that, like, the turmeric that we're used to, uh, it has kind of almost like a bright orange color. It was bright blue, but as it dries down, it kind of mellows out into kind of like a greenish yellow. But it's called blue turmeric. It's a lot more kind of minty and menthol-y than typical turmeric. It almost would be, like, amazing as, like, in, like, making bitters in a cocktail to kind of uh-huh. offset the sweetness. But in Vietnam, it was very often it was grown and then and then kind of processed in a way for into like 
pills and, and supplements that people would oh, yeah. take for for health. Oh wow! Ra- well, of course, rather that's, than the that's, culinary side of it, the traditions are uh, herbs and spices, medicinal herbs and spices is ancient, ancient. They would, they would grind it down and they would soak it in water and they would drain off the water and the kind of color would also drain off and they would dry that and it would be this like kind of like pillowy starches were kind of left over and either that was taken, added to drinks or, or kind of formed these little balls that were rolled with honey and they, you know, they would just take it as part of their everyday, you know, the same way that we would take vitamins. That was uh-huh. part of the kind of like health supplement of it. But it looked so cool, and it had this very distinct flavor from regular turmeric, which it wasn't nearly as carroty or sweet. It, it just really gave this really, like, strong and vibrating, like, like minty, menthol flavor. And so we had not seen anybody else that was carrying it and bringing it in and brought it as a culinary ingredient. And so we, we knew that we had to find a way to import this and to kind of see how people cooked with it and what they did with it, because it was, it was new to us as it was to our customers. Uh, how, yeah. how, is it, how does it grow, or is it, is it like a root crop, so like a carrot? Or? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, so they're called rhizomes because I've called it roots and was corrected <laughs> over and over until I finally <laughs> figured it out. Um, it has this like it, it's this kind of like it's if you've seen you look at like ginger root or or yeah. turmeric root, like what you see is you see these kind of like bulbous, like almost like caterpillar looking threads. There's a heart in the middle, and then there's like kind of fingers that extend out from the heart of it, and it's it's grown under and it kind of grows underground. It sprouts these green leaves that end up growing a few feet in the air. Um, and oftentimes, what they'll really? do is they'll even kind of cut the tops off and then let it cure in the ground for a little bit before taking shovels and digging it out and washing it off, um, and then and then kind of chopping it up and drying it. That's amazing. I mean, aren't you just gobsmacked by half of what you discover when you're traveling about these spices and herbs? Well, and when you're going to a field that's full of turmeric, it looks like a dirt patch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's yeah. very misleading. And But then the second you start digging underground, you find all these really beautiful turmeric. And for the blue turmeric, when it breaks off, like you don't see this like a vibrant blue in nature very often. And so just kind of cracking into one of these, you know, rhizomes and, and seeing this like blue come out from, from the brown mud and the brown dirt soil that's all around it is it's, it's really beautiful and it's really almost jarring to see that color come out of something that seems so lifeless beforehand. Yeah, it's, um, blue is not, a, a, not found that often a vibrant blue like that in, uh, in parts of nature that contribute to seasoning spices and so on. I can't, I can't, is there any other blue spice that you can think of? Yeah, it's a good question. Chefs use like decorative flowers, edible decorative flowers every so often to bring blue into the palette. Obviously, yeah. so you know we we can play on blueberries and like and like the blueberry juice and all that, but it really yeah, you just don't come across it too often. Right. So now, what else comes out of Vietnam? So out of Vietnam is our best, best-selling spice that, that was really a, a breakout hit for us in 2020, which is our royal cinnamon. And Vietnamese cinnamon is known for being intensely spicy and intensely sweet. And so what's really interesting about that is it's not a flavor that you often have out of cinnamon, but if we've, you've had that kind of apple pie or red hot or even big red, you know, oh, those yeah. are not, those are, those are mimicking that cinnamon flavor. Um, very often, and so what ends up happening is cinnamon is tree bark, and the cinnamon is better the older the tree is. And so cinnamon 
field. I think we've talked about this a little bit in the past, so I won't go too deep into this. But this cinnamon comes from trees that are 20 or more years old. And very often, one generation is planting the trees for the next generation to harvest. And so wow. if you're, when you become a teenager, oftentimes you can get, if you're in, in a family that farms cinnamon, uh, you'll get a plot of land to take care of. And it functions a lot like a savings account, where the longer you can let the tree grow before you harvest it, the more valuable the bark is. And, wow. and it really creates this intergenerational dynamic because if something takes 20 years to grow, you can't scale up. You can't pivot out of that business. You can't, like, decide that you're doing this all of a sudden. Like, it really has something that has grown with care over generations. And there's so few businesses that operate over that kind of time scale. We're so – we want things to happen urgently every quarter. We oh, want yeah. to see results. <laughs> we want to see numbers. And this is a fundamentally different, you know, scale of time. Now, did you, did you give us the cinnamon leaves – so the cinnamon right? leaves I did send you, yeah, yeah and those okay. come from Zanzibar. Those are from the cinnamon verum tree, and oftentimes cinnamon leaves have a, almost are like a, a more cinnamony version of a bay leaf, and many times they're thrown away or composted um, in the process. And so we know that, that if you ever go into an Indian grocery store and you see something labeled Tejpata or Indian bay leaf, it actually comes from That's a cinnamon that. tree. It's a different variety. And so when our partner farmers in Zanzibar were growing the, the cinnamon, we said, hey, if you can also dry the leaves from us, we'll buy them from you, and we'll introduce them as, as a kind of bay leaf alternative ingredient. But it's really beautiful um, in a pot of rice. Um, even we had one chef in here who was making ice cream out of these cinnamon tree leaves, and, and they were really wonderful. But we haven't gone down that path with our partner farmers in Vietnam yet. We were really hoping to visit back there in 2020, but obviously um, that did not work yeah. out. So the next time that we go there, we're going to try to sell them on, on producing cinnamon tree leaves too and see what they say. Uh-huh. So now, um, what is the bark that uh, from another tree that people sort of pass, try to pass off uh, as cinnamon, which is not as good? So, so there's this whole argument in the cinnamon world where the cinnamon, which came originally from Sri Lanka, it's called Ceylon cinnamon, or Cinnamomum verum is the Latin name, which is true cinnamon. And so this is a cinnamon that is often, when, when in Mexican cuisine, or you hear a canela, so often that's this type of cinnamon. It's much more mild, and, and it ends up being really good in savory foods. You know, anytime you're cooking cinnamon with, like, lamb or things like that, that's the cinnamon that you want because it doesn't dominate. It's much less sweet. It's not spicy. It's more citrusy and complex. And so that's a cinnamon verum, or that we also bring in from Zanzibar, but that traces back to, um, to Sri Lanka. This cinnamon is, the, is similar to the cassia cinnamon. It's a different version of it. It's the Vietnamese version of a cassia cinnamon is from China, and that's the much spicier, and, and that's the much sweeter cinnamon that we typically associate with, with its, like a, a cinnamon flavor. And so there are a lot of people that are like, well, the Sri Lankan one is the true cinnamon. The other one is just an imitator. <laughs> and I think that I, I don't know how much of a branding exercise it is when it got its Latin name to say this is true from like a cinnamon genus. But what the most of the cinnamon we're used to in the U.S. Um, is, is typically cassia cinnamon. Um, that's the sweeter of, of the two. Well, you know, my Greek friend taught me um, to put a pinch of cinnamon in um, a, a vinaigrette to bring a sharpness to the salad dressing. Yeah, in general, just, just kind of complementing. with. I, I think too often we think of spices as sweet or savory. And in yeah. many, you know, cuisines in, you know, like Moroccan and Middle Eastern and, and even, in, of course, so many of the cuisines across India, um, cinnamon and savory are used to complement each other and to balance each other out. 
And so, yeah, I, I actually think that it's very fun. The other day, I accidentally I was making eggs, and instead of grabbing the black peppercorn grinder, I ground some cardamom seeds on there. And you oh, know yeah. what? It was great. <laughs> and so I think we don't <laughs> experiment enough with that in America. And so oftentimes you'll accidentally drop cinnamon into something you didn't mean to, and then you're like, huh, that was actually pretty good. That's <laughs> good. Um, so, and what else do you have in uh, Vietnam? So in northern Vietnam, we bring in also uh, ginger and garlic, and it's, okay. the ginger is called buffalo ginger, and it is surprisingly spicy. Um, you know, we all know about fresh fresh ginger, but often the dry ginger that we get is is really not not very intense. And this the ginger is very closely related to to turmeric, closely yeah. actually related also to cardamom. Um, and it's a really, really spicy, really intense, fruity ginger that, that we've really enjoyed. And the purple striped garlic is, has been really a, a breakout hit in 2020. I think everybody cooking more at home, they're just going for more garlic powder. And so this is a garlic. It's called purple striped garlic because the type of garlic is called purple stripe. Where yeah, has, I mean, um, I, I, I didn't realize it was a separate uh, type. I've seen it. I yeah. just thought it was a variety of where you got it from, but I didn't think of it as a type. What's the flavor yeah. difference? Yeah, so you're exactly right. It's a varietal of garlic that, that the, the feature of it is that there are these, like, light purple stripes on the outside of the, the yeah, papery right. skin of the garlic. This one from Vietnam is a much smaller, and it also is kind of the way that they grind it and dry it, it you end up, it smells and tastes like, like a roasted garlic. Like, it's a very intense kind of sweet and almost like lemongrass basil garlic and so so often granulated garlic or garlic powder is so dry and so simple and so you know <laughs> uncomplicated that, that, <laughs> that we found this and we were like oh my god you got the roasted flavors in here you have the herbal sides of it and so th- that's what made this garlic really special we didn't want to carry uh, a dried garlic until we found one that really you know would really light up your palate. And and this one, we, we knew that this was the one to get. Yeah, I mean, the I don't know how people, so many recipes you get on the Internet call for onion powder and garlic powder. And, I mean, it has to really make a mess of, of a dish. <laughs> Unless it's yeah, a good quality. Yeah, I think a lot of good cooks turn their nose up a little bit in onion and yeah, garlic right. powder. And, mm-hmm. and I don't blame them, but if you start, you know, it just depends on what you have, because so often the onion or garlic powder that you reach for is this, like, granulated version that, that you've had for, for a decade and all yeah, of that. Yeah, it's old but stuff, It's had a bit it? of a resurgence. Yeah. There's yeah. been some TikTok stars. Speaking of social networks that I don't understand, um, <laughs> there have been a handful of TikTok stars that started um, making very popular videos using garlic powder. And, and it kind of caught wind throughout the pandemic. So we we sold more garlic. was We sold the second most of garlic than any spice that we did in, in 2020. Really? Huh. Yeah. And, and you like it. You like it. Yeah, well, so I think it has to be special. And I think too often, like, why don't we like to use dried herbs? Because so often, if we have access to fresh herbs, we'll use them for more intense. And the dried version is just, much more sensitive to losing its flavor. So by the time we get to like dried sage or dried rosemary, it's just not, it's just not very much is left over there. So I understand people's aversion to garlic, uh, uh, to the, in the, in the dried form, especially with access to fresh garlic. But this one was just something totally different that, that was so much more intense and interesting than even many of the fresh garlic that we've had. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's this whole thing with dried and fresh. Um, the, 
we were interviewing somebody who has a system of storage jars and stuff for spices, and um, uh, the, the popular, really popular um, herbs and spices are omitted. And their answer was because fresh is so much better. But it included dill, which I think is perfectly acceptable dried. Um, yeah. Uh, rosemary, which I also, I mean, I know fresh rosemary is um, is, is better, but it, it, you don't always have fresh rosemary, you know, without having to go to the store. And what other thyme is another one that actually dries quite well. Yeah, yeah, and in general, just like the, the leaves, you know, like that's what separates right herbs from spices. That the herbs are, are the leaves of the plant, and they they often are much more sensitive to losing their essential oils in the drying process. And so it takes a kind of more skilled farmer or dryer, whoever is doing it, just to make sure that they're kind of being careful about it. And then it's just about making sure that it took a pretty short journey from the farm to your kitchen, you know, versus sitting for like a year or two in a storage room somewhere. And then by the time it gets to you, it's, you know, it's, it's already, the flavor is gone. So I, I, you can go wrong. Like spices tend to, the nuts, the seeds, the fruits tend to be a little bit hardier and tend to maintain their flavor a little bit better than herbs do. And so that's why I think people have a little bit of a bias against dried herbs. I see. Yeah. Um, the other thing, of course, is people don't know quite the quantity to use. I mean, they don't know the difference in, in quantity, how you could really muck up a recipe with using the same amount of dried as you do fresh. Yeah, and actually we put on our packaging that whenever you're using our spices for a recipe, just use half as much <laughs> because they're they're a lot stronger and more potent. And we, we would hate for you to have used bought our spices and then that be the reason why you can only taste the ginger <laughs> in your recipe. <laughs> exactly. So what other new spices are you exploring? Well, so the, the other one that I think is worth mentioning that comes from Vietnam is star anise or star anise. Oh, I, love I still don't know the right way to pronounce it. <laughs> anise, yeah. Um, and so, star, we, anise is star anise. Yeah, but that's, I, I dug out some of that because it's not something you use up very quickly. And uh, I sniffed it? it and it was really too old to use. Do you have any recipes that you use it in? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I use it for, for a lot of Asian recipes and so uh, yeah. I don't do I don't do any baking, so I don't use it for any baking thing whatsoever. Yeah, um, it's great. In the Berlin, other one, it's, yeah, yeah the, one of the, the five spices in Chinese five spice. Also. Yeah, and well, Peter makes this um, a veal meatball uh, that has it's kind of special for him, and he uses uh, Chinese five spice uh, in it. And it's the most yeah. distinctive aspect of this meatball. And we didn't have any. We were out of five of spice. So that's what got me looking around in my spice um, collection to see what the ingredients are in five spice. And how that's how I dragged out my old star anise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And did you use it or did it go into the trash? Oh, I mean, it's not, we can't use it now. It's going to be cool. I also <laughs> use uh, Zanzibar black peppercorns. Oh, he loves. Oh, yeah, he loves. Those. I love those babies. Very good. I, I that that's it's actually really interesting. We've been talking to our partner farmers in Zanzibar, and we have a number of farmers talking to us about the changing weather patterns. 
um, and it's affecting their their harvest because spices grow in a pretty narrow range. Most spices right, right, grow in a right. pretty narrow range of temperatures in this kind of tropical, subtropical area. And this year, the rainy season came in at a strange time, and they weren't ready to dry and harvest until much, much later. And so we're having actually a conversation with a number of our partner farmers across the world that are saying, hey, the weather is different, and it's impacting the harvest. And they're starting to think about, do they move where their fields are? Do they buy new fields further north, further south? And so it's been really, it's been a little bit alarming and to to talk to people that are actually growing things. It it is alarming. We just interviewed um, the president of, oh dear, do we lose him? Ori. Can you save that rabbit? Rabbit. Yeah, look. Could you say that we we lost Ori? Yes, I mean, you want me you want me to stop the recording? I, I can do. Well, it. I mean, I don't know what to do. Well, I'll stop the recording at least. At least we'll at least save that way it. We'll have, right. I don't know. Is he going to call in? Okay, go ahead. Here, here we'll just continue on now. Is um the the, the we interviewed the president of the uh, Texas Citrus council or something and um with the the storm of course it caused all kinds of uh, trauma all over the state but the the grapefruit growers in particular um they the 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 freeze came and killed the fruit that was still hanging from the previous harvest on the tree the previous growth cycle on the tree and it killed all the buds so they won't have their new a grapefruit crop for two years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, farming is something that, that the farmers are going to see the impact of changes in temperature and changes in weather before the rest of us. We'll, we'll see when we're reaching out to, for a grapefruit <laughs> and grapefruit prices have doubled oh, the or, or, or prices are no longer be, available. Yeah. And, and, of course, grapes, are, I mean, the, the wine harvest are really getting crazy. Yeah, once you once you start once it starts messing with people's alcohol, that's when people will revolt. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, um, are you going to line up uh, some more spices for our next session as we continue Absolutely. on our series? Um, you're- yeah, we're. We're bringing a lot of new things. I'm actually really excited. We have a big shipment. We, we uh, a year ago this time we were in India on a spice sourcing trip. Right when right. COVID turned from you know uh, a, a contained disease to a global pandemic, and we had to cut our our trip short, and we didn't get to go to most of the places in India. But we've kept working with the farmers instead of emailing them and sending them WhatsApps and coordinating the shipment. So we're going to get some really cool spices from India, including Kashmiri chilies including black cardamom, including fennel and coriander. And so that oh, we're yeah. still a few months out on that, but we're really excited. And we have That's a lot great. of other new spices coming in from nutmeg to, you know, uh, I don't know. We're just, we're just, we're going to get well, the you're back to come on. You're going to have to come on the show and, and explain this whole nutmeg allspice thing. Cause I'm not sure I understand the whole thing. <laughs> okay. You got it. Yeah. So, Ori, before we go, um, how about the website again and also um, how to sign up for the wonderful newsletter, which has so much rich information in it. I just love getting it. 
Yeah, so my name is Ori Zohar. I'm the co-founder of Burlap and Barrel. We source single-origin spices directly from smallholder farmers around the world. Um, our website is burlapandbarrel.com, uh, B-U-R-L-A-P-A-N-D-B-A-R-R-E-L. And on there, you can sign up on our newsletter. We promise we won't spam you. We really just try to tell farmers stories and share about the origin of spices. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook. We have a wonderfully lively spice forum on Facebook where people are sharing stories and discussing recipes and getting advice. And so anyway, you want to reach out to us, myself or my co-founder, Ethan, are really not too far away. We'd love to talk to you. And if you have any other spice questions, you know, please share. And we'll happy to come back here in just a few weeks and we can continue our conversation about interesting spices. <laughs> Ori, always a pleasure. Love your company. Love you. Anyhow, and I love your products. So uh, we'll be in touch. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. I don't know about all of you listeners out there, but um, there seems to have been some sort of a, a, a surge in people wanting briny things during the pandemic. And that's fine because I've always loved briny things. But we have a whole raft of um, things such as sauerkraut and pickles to choose from. And we turn to our friends at Cleveland Kitchen. And this Mac Anderson's going to talk to us about the crop. We're from Pittsburgh. We're ready to admit that there's at least one good thing that comes out of Cleveland. <laughs> okay, we're we're all excited over sauerkraut these days. I don't know why, but but Mac Anderson of Cleveland Kitchen uh, tops the pile of sauerkraut. Tell, tell us about your business, Cleveland Kitchen. Um, I assume you're really in Cleveland, right? Yeah, absolutely. So happy to be here and uh, share a bit of our story. But yeah, my my brother, uh, myself, and our brother-in-law started the company here in Cleveland at local farmers markets. Um, but our story kind of starts well before that. My my brother and I grew up in in the local food ecosystem. My mother actually uh, used to take us out, you know, every weekend. Um, to local farms, great northeast, northeastern Ohio farms, and she was a uh, she studied biology and was a chef, and she cared a great deal about you know fantastic ingredients and what she was putting in her family's body. And um, you know, after a few years of dragging us all out, kicking and screaming to the farm, she realized <laughs> that there's probably a market for this. Uh, yeah, it, it back in Cleveland, so she founded the North Union Farmers Market. So it's a uh, nonprofit network. Uh, of about 14 farmers markets today, but from about four years old on, I was out there schlepping produce uh, from 5 a.m. You know, child labor laws aside, <laughs> working with farmers and and new makers, and you know, it definitely. My brother and I, it was our summer and weekend job to manage these markets, and we started to notice, you know, new producers and, and branded products coming to market. You know, we took note of what made a great food product, how they were packaging it, how they were engaging with consumers, and uh, we definitely noticed the ones that would end up on grocery store shelves. So that that resonated with us, and, you know, my brother Drew, our CEO, he 
he actually went after college down to Richmond, Virginia, uh, into the banking industry, and he could get great barbecue, really good soul food, but he couldn't kind of get that Midwest fare, that you know Pittsburgh and <laughs> Cleveland, the Eastern European, um, you know pierogi, kielbasa, sauerkraut, all that great stuff. So he was making those things actually in his uh, in his apartment, and oh, no. <laughs> you know he. Can't, yeah, no, he came, he fell in love with the art of fermentation and, and making great kraut, and he came back to work for KeyBank here in Cleveland and met my sister's fiancé at the time, our brother-in-law, co-founder, and chief operating officer, Luke Viznik, and uh, discovered that he was actually uh, making sauerkraut as well uh, to get in touch with his German and Croatian roots. And That's so nice. they were kind of testing each other's recipes Actually taught me how to at school. I went. I went to Miami of Ohio, just like, just like Big Ben up there. And, there you and, go. Uh, <laughs> you know, my housemates. Yeah, that's right. My uh, my housemates. My my buddies were wondering what the heck was going. What was bubbling away in our kitchen? But uh, you know, come barbecue season, every, everybody loved those those fresh flavors and that that great delicious kraut. So we knew it at least had a you know a very good product on our hands and. Uh, you know, fast forward a bit, we were all, you know, working in, uh, Drew was a banker, as I mentioned, I was in finance for a law firm, and um, our brother-in-law, Luke, was an architect, and we'd leave our day jobs at 7 p.m. and work till 2 in the morning, four nights a week, and then, uh, you know, we'd actually sell it on the weekends every weekend, and what kept us going each each week of, of relatively little sleep was the fact that, you know, consumers kept coming back for more and more of our crowds all the different flavors, and they kept telling us that the usage occasions, you know, they're much further beyond just pierogi, a hot dog, or a Reuben a few times a year, but rather throwing it on eggs in the morning, avocado toast, rice dishes, fish tacos. Of course, it's going to go great on a, a burger, a Reuben, or a sandwich, but it was just really extending far beyond, and, and the natural, you know, fermentation led to all those great probiotics, so folks were really seeking it out for health and wellness reasons. And, um, you know, towards the end of 2015, we actually quit our jobs and, and uh, launched into the market, starting with Heinen's and Giant Eagle, so our, our great local uh, grocery partners. And today mm-hmm. we're in almost 10,000 stores nationwide. We have the number one premium refrigerated sauerkraut brand in the nation. Oh, wow. Now, I found you in Whole Foods. There you go. Yeah, they're a great partner of ours as well. We've, uh, you know, everyone from Whole Foods to Walmart – uh, is carrying our goods, so it's been been a fun ride, and we make it all, you know, right here in Cleveland, Ohio, at our facility downtown, and we we pull our cabbage in season from local Midwest farmers. Uh, and then but it's the a real fermentation. Food. I mean, you're you're um, crowd because we've had local kraut where it's it's just mainly salted cabbage, and it's and it's dry. Yeah, absolutely. You can't get it out of the jar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No, we we do a real ferment. So we, you know, it's about a month. Um, you know, there's a couple temperature controlled processes, but yeah, it's a natural ferment, and then we cold pack it and ship it straight out the shelves. But it's it's never heated or pasteurized, so that's why you know wellness clinics and dietitians across the country are recommending it for daily use. But you've got yeah. some really interesting flavors. Yes, absolutely. Share, we we share, uh, the, share the titles. <laughs> the one I picked what's up. What's the one with yeah. whiskey? I love the that one. The one I picked off the shelf was was whiskey and something else. 
Yep, so we've got our classic caraway. That's our traditional Bavarian style. It's going to be great on your traditional dishes, your pierogi, your Reuben, your, your bratwurst. Uh, and then we get a little more exciting. We've got our roasted garlic, which has you know both roasted and raw garlic with fresh black pepper in there for an excellent pungent flavor. I love that on you know eggs or, or any kind of you know rice and bean dish. Of course, it's going to add a ton of flavor to a burger. Um, and then the whiskey dill, as you mentioned, is a is definitely a fan favorite. It's got a nice. Yeah, that's it. The whiskey dill, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, with the uh, it's got a little a little fresh whiskey in there. Nothing alcoholic, obviously. It gets eaten up uh, over the process, and then a bit of dill. So it's got a nice fresh pickly flavor. I actually love that one on a Reuben, uh, even in a salad. Uh, and then we get into uh, the beet red. So that one is a little. Carrots. It's got a nice tartness, a little bit of sweetness. I love that one. You take a fresh, you know, fresh green, field green salad or, or something like arugula, throw some of our beet red with some feta or goat cheese, and uh, you're off to the races with a phenomenal salad. Yeah, and then we've got a couple, a couple spicy flavors. So we have our curry kraut with turmeric, ginger, and a little jalapeno. And then and we that's have healthy uh, too. That's really healthy. That's extremely healthy. Yeah, that, that might be our healthiest skew. It's got a nice, subtle heat. I love it, like I said, on avocado toast, on fish tacos, on any kind of rice dish. And then our uh, world-famous nar-nar. So it's, uh, the story behind that is we actually were making uh, our batches. My mother was the only one with a cellar because we were all young and living in apartments. And so we'd come over on the weekend and make batches to test recipes. And uh, my brother was filling up. You know, all the spices, the red pepper, the the, the um, sliced green peppers, the sriracha that go into the nar-nar. And he said, Mom, this is going to be one gnarly kraut. And uh, <laughs> that, that stuck with her. And, and two weeks How later, was name, it was huh? fermenting. It was pretty, yeah, it was pretty pungent. She said, hey, come get this nar-nar out of my basement. It's smelling up the place. <laughs> so we decided to uh, stick with the name there. And that's actually Iron Chef Mike Simon's favorite uh, oh, I know, Mike. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Luckily for those, it's it's usually like a, a licensing deal. But uh, unfortunately, you know, hopefully things are with the vaccine rolling out and everything, things are getting back to normal. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see. And then we just released our latest item, the uh, the, the kimchi. So a traditional oh, I love that kimchi. Yep. That's good. Yeah, that. How did you learn to do all of though. this, Mac? Trial and error. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, we're we're uh, yeah we we you know experimented. My brother and, and Luke, you know, Luke had his grandmother's original recipes, and my brother was reading up on it, and you know, read some fermentation books from Sandor Katz, and then yeah, it's really oh, yeah, about, classic you know, figuring out the yep the recipes and and figuring out you know the the ratios of salt to cabbage and veggies and all that, so. We definitely evolved. The farmer's market really helped us, you know, understand the recipes, the flavors, and all that good stuff. And then he was able to, uh, 
to really pin that down, and we've been we've been growing ever since. I think we processed almost four million pounds of cabbage last year. That's great. <laughs> That's a lot of cabbage. Now, have you a lot of um, of um, people would in prep jar stuff complain about a shortage of uh, glass jars? Do you have any problem with that? Uh, no, so we actually, you know, we started in glass jars, but as we were so growing... So you have different packaging now. Yes, we, so we have yeah. pouches, and, and you'll notice we have that thick, you know, very crunchy, vibrant, rustic cut, and, and it's not overwhelmed with nothing. You're not paying for all this brine, so it's actually very hard to pack into a glass jar. We couldn't really automate it. The other thing that actually we took, you know, uh, you know one pallet of our new pouches that are totally recyclable um, actually equals a whole truckload of glass. So actually, and the glass process is, is quite carbon intensive, the glass creation. So we're actually uh-huh. uh, much more environmental friendly by using these pouches. Um, and they've been, the other thing, and I think you guys have noticed, but on the back of each pouch is a little vent that allows the crowd, because it is naturally fermenting, to continue to ferment, kick off that CO2, and really breathe. I didn't notice that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Did you notice that, Liv? Um, I read it. <laughs> you read it, you read it. Okay, there you go. But, um, so, what's it like to have to, I mean, you start off, concocting these things in your kitchen, your mother's kitchen, how do you scale up to, your numbers are really high now. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's tough. It's a balancing act. We, we started in a small, uh, not even 2,000 square foot facility uh, in an old drill factory that we built out in Luke. Being an architect, that was a huge benefit to us because we could oh, that's right. really help yeah. us lay down. A, yeah, so we, we built the kitchen there, and, you know, every time I'd get a new account, it was always a celebration, and then, you know, Drew and Luke would kind of kind of put their heads together and try to figure out where the heck we were going to uh, put this and grow it, so we'd knock down walls and make it food safe, and if, like with Wegmans, for instance, I specifically remember, you know, us partying, and then, you know, Luke looking at me, he's like, darn, i got to go figure this out, so... It's definitely been, you know, a, a rolling process of scaling and growth and getting investors and, and you know, building out our, our space um, and, you know, working directly with farmers to, to contract on more cabbage. So, yeah, it's been a – it feels like almost just yesterday when we started, but it's been a fun six, almost seven years now. Wow, that seems a long time, yeah. Boy, I'm glad, boy, I'm glad we found you. Yeah, <laughs> we love the stuff. I, mean, I, 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 I consider it a, a, a great piece of food excitement that we have managed to add to our kitchen. Well, I'm yes. so happy to hear that. That's exactly what we want, you know. Now, do you think, by the way, that people's tastes have changed, or do you think it's just the preserving, the interest in preserving and the health factor in making um, ferments so popular now? Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. I think um, the American diet is definitely opening up to, to more worldly flavors, to, uh, to more balanced diet. And, you know, the education process on what fermented foods can really do for your overall health, your gut health, um, and, 
everything else is, is just come a long way. So, you know, every dietitian, as I mentioned, doctors across the country, mm-hmm. uh, periodicals, celebrities are, you know, preaching the benefits and people are definitely becoming aware. And I think, you know, the old, you know, mushy, bag sauerkraut that's been pasteurized and fermented and either come, yeah, it comes in a, a, either a flat plastic bag or a can. I mean, that didn't do any, the kraut any, any service because it's, it's a fresh, crunchy, fermented vegetable that has excellent flavor and great probiotic benefit. And for years and years, folks thought it was a, uh, you know, a, a, uh, you know, sloppy, something you might put on a hot dog once a year, but other than that, you avoid it. It's smelly. There's no real benefit to it. It's salty. you got to rinse it. So I think, you know, us bringing a fresh new take on it and, you know, putting some effort into marketing and, you know, bringing the packaging up to date and really pushing brand and working with chefs and focusing on flavor and all the new ways that you can use it, um, I think that definitely ha- helped us a ton. Yeah, and Anne is of Italian heritage, and in 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 her food calendar, on Christmas on on New Year's Eve, you have to have sauerkraut and mashed potatoes. No, it's New Year's Day. You've got to have pork, sauerkraut, and uh, and mashed potatoes. Yes. And and guess, and guess what I yeah, used to do? Exactly. I used to I, I used to put gin and dry vermouth. Oh yeah. In the, in the kraut. Well, I used to do juniper berries, which is the gin part. Oh, yeah, and and juniper berries, too, of course. It reminds me of the first time I made um, Julia Child's uh, um, choucroute garni, and and I had some cookbook, and I, you know, I, I, I didn't read through the recipe, and I'm making dinner, and, and I, I did all the rinsing of the crowd and the layering of this and that, and I bought special sausages, and I did this, put it all together, and I'm reading the recipe that says, now simmer for four hours. Yeah. <laughs> it was already like 8 o'clock <laughs> at night. <laughs> but, oh, but, um, but that was viewed as, yeah, the, 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 and what she did, and it was the traditional French was to to rinse all of the brine off of it and and coat it with uh, was it bacon duck fat or something no duck, duck fat. fat duck fat um, so that's very different from the product that everybody loves today which is the uh, you know the actual fermented taste the taste of the sour I think people are developing more sour tendencies I don't know why but well, here's the only important question left. Mac, what are you going to do next? What are you going to do for an online? Yeah, I wanted to know that too. Well, so we, we do have, I'm not sure if you've seen in, in Whole Foods, but we launched actually in the middle of the pandemic last year the first of their kind fermented dressings. So we have a line of, of delicious, naturally low-calorie and low-carb salad dressings that have gut health benefits. So we do yeah, we have fermented those. vegetables. Yeah, as as a base, and those are excellent, you know, dressings, marinades, definitely open up the, the fermented category to a wider you audience, can, yeah. Great. You can use it as a marinade, too, right? Absolutely. I do uh, either the roasted garlic or the miso jalapeno. I do, uh, I do a pork tenderloin, smoke that uh, for a couple hours out on the smoker, 
and serve with some kraut, or if it's the gnarly miso, I might even do an extra little sauce and serve with rice and, and grilled asparagus. It's a phenomenal meal there. Um, that sounds they're fabulous. They're really, really great marinade. <laughs> you can come cook yeah. at our house. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do Luckily, you cook I at home? I had lunch, but I'm, I'm really, Yes, I do, of course. I, uh, <laughs> you know, growing up with my mother, she studied at Le, Le Cordon Bleu in Paris, and then you know, always passed it down. And luckily enough, we're we're still able most weekends to make it over to, you know, her house and all cook together. I'd say my brother's a oh, slightly better chef than us, but we have a great uh, YouTube channel and on social media we do little cooking videos. But that yeah, I cook, good. I cook a, a ton. Absolutely, it's it's and so what, fun. You're and the, it's rewarding. You, you feel a lot good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You wash it down, it down with, with some Great Lakes beer. <laughs> Edmund Fitzgerald from Edmund. the East End Brewing Company, right? That's right, Great Lakes Brewery. I'm actually heading there uh, this evening to have some, some beers on the patio. A friend of ours, uh, she got, her and her husband, they just found out that she matched to a residency program here in Cleveland, so we're very excited. A residency. Oh, good. So you're celebrating. That's right. Great. Well, listen, we really love your products, and we uh, wish you continued success with them. And um, uh, I have your email. Now, email you when it's air, and you can listen to it right off of our of our um, website or from any of your podcasts. Do you, have a, do, you have a store find, do you have a store finder on your website? Yes, we do. Yes, so clevelandkitchen.com. Uh, there's a store locator. There's all kinds of great recipes. You can even order our, our products right online there. I would oh, that's say it's great. probably cheaper in your, in your retail store. But, yeah, everything is right there. Um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm so happy you, you both enjoy it. Thanks so much for finding us and, and hearing our story. Sure. And, so that, uh, you know, there, we're there excited There you go, Pittsburghers. We've got to put a bad word in before we go. There is, there is at least one thing that good that came out of Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Well, we welcome you to come. I, I'd say come visit on the uh, in the summer because it's much nicer, much like you know Pittsburgh. You want to get yeah. down in the summer. Uh, I, I actually we come up most for the past few years. We've been coming up to Picklesburg, which is a blast. I love oh right, yeah, you like and. Yeah. Uh, you know, you guys should take it easy on us. You've been whooping us at football for the past few decades. It's, it's good that we finally have a decent team to field. You know, you can, well, be, you can, it's you be, can let us uh, a, let us have our small victories season, here. As always. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, Peter we're, we're Peter's um, Peter's family. Well, he's from England, Peter, and uh, we we uh, Skype with with family on Sundays. But um, they're all in England. But you know, they're wilder. American football fans than they're we Steeler, are. They're Steeler fans. If they're of Steeler course. fans, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll ask them. That's great. <laughs> Mac, really loved your product and loved talking to you. And uh, the continued success, huh? It, yes, we thank you so much we used to we used to cover that. Um, what was it called? The Food and Wine Festival for the Hospital Rabbit. Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. Oh, they used to have it every two years, and we used to come up for that. And uh, then they stopped having it. I guess they raised enough money. So it was a, it was a, it was a big big fundraiser for a cancer hospital. Yeah. 
yeah. Central. It was, also, it was so five okay. star. Five star sensation. I think. Five star sensation was what the event was called, and then um, Michael took over, took it over from Wolfgang Puck, and yeah, and we, I don't know if it still goes on right. or not. Yeah. All right. I'm I'm sh- I'm sure there's something like that. Well, thank you so much, Anna Peter. Thank it's you. Been a real pleasure. Uh, keep on enjoying the crowd. So, if you don't want crowd from Cleveland. Uh, we can steer you to um, Pickles from Georgia. From Georgia. <laughs> Talking to Jim Lawler of Pickled Pink Foods. Well, I'm, I've been enjoying an assortment of Pickled Pink Foods uh, from Pinkle Pink Foods, <laughs> which um, we're going to be talking to Jim Lawler, he and his buddy Charlie, uh, with long-time ties to each other and to the restaurant community, came up with this idea in, was it 2013? Yes, it was, in 2013. Sort of started over the holidays of 2012, but really kind of formed the company uh, spring of 2013. And, and you uh, said, I read where Charlie's wife used to make all these these uh, pickles, and he hated pickles, but he liked her family's really old recipes. Well, that's, that's kind of how it all was. Yeah, we, you know, Charlie's born and raised in in the uh, North Alabama, and uh, his family had one of those old school family recipe books that are handwritten, as they were, you know, eighty, ninety, a hundred plus years ago. A dash of this, a pinch of that, and and his <laughs> wife Candy, uh, you know, over the holidays for a few years. Uh, would make uh, this sweet gourmet pickle recipe that was in there, you know, just for some holiday platters around the Thanksgiving Christmas time. And Charlie absolutely hates pickles. (laughs) You know, we can go to any place to get a hamburger. He makes sure there's no pickles on it, a sandwich, (laughs) no pickles. And uh, one day, I'm assuming in right around 2011, 2012, uh, those holidays, he started eating them, and he thought to himself, "Well, shoot, these are good, <laughs> and and if I like them, and I can't stand pickles, then maybe other people will." Uh-huh. And Charlie and I have some history in the restaurant business together uh, for a few years, and and we had become not only uh, business partners per se, but friends as well. And he. Uh, came to me with the idea a little bit in 2012, but really into March of 2013, that early spring, to say, hey, what do you think we take these recipes and see if we've got something? And uh, with that, uh, I said, well, let me see what we got. I, I have 20-plus years in the restaurant business myself. Uh, in not in so much Atlanta? Tr- in Atlanta, yeah. I graduated from Florida State University with uh, a hotel restaurant degree. Not that that means anything, but if you've – been in the restaurant business as an owner, as a general manager, as a kitchen manager, and everything in between for 20-plus years. Yeah, Although you're not a know. classically trained chef, you become chefish. Yes. Um, <laughs> is the uh, best thing for me to say, is you learn how to dissect and, and work through some recipes. So that spring we found a co-packer in North Georgia, very small artisan. Uh, you know, we kind of took the recipe that was handwritten, kind of tweaked it a bit, uh, you know, worked on it in, in basically in my home kitchen, uh, which is where most things start, and uh, <laughs> was, able, was able to get this uh, sweet gourmet pickle recipe up to 
this little co-packer in northeast Georgia, and uh, by April or May, she was already producing and testing jars for us. Uh, you know, and again, the testing part to make sure that it's safe because not every home recipe is safe for retail consumption in some cases. Right. And uh, while we were doing that, a uh, one of the restaurants I used to own in South Buckhead, which is a part of uh, you know the Atlanta area, oh, there was sure. a, a, a we branding. Did that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was a branding and design school behind my restaurant called the Portfolio Center. So as we were working on kind of tweaking this recipe and getting some jars of this made, we kind of I reconnected with this branding school. And in in the long story short, we we provided a scholarship to the school in the name of Pickled Pink, which uh-huh. goes is a play on Tickled Pink, which yes. is Charlie's wife Candy named the company. So there is some there is some funniness when we go out there, two guys with a company named Pickled Pink and we have to <laughs> and we have pink aprons and we remind everybody that we're married. We're good on that end. And uh so we got we went to the school, I reconnected with some of the folks that I used to know and we provided a scholarship to the school in the Pickled Pink name and in turn we were able to utilize that branding and marketing school to help us with photography the brand, the logo that you see, the colors, and the uh, website. They built our initial website, and it was all done by students with guidance from their professors. Oh, but we were able well. to, yes, yeah. So we were, and, and the neat thing about that is when one student uh, graduated, they took the flash drive and just gave it to the next student who was coming in behind <laughs> them. So. Well, for our first right. year or two of, 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 you know, of being a company in 2013, 14, into 15, uh, all of our branding, all of our marketing, all of our photography, web design was all done by the students at the school. So we really were proud of that. Um, but as, as we, as we, after we met with them in that April of 2013, there's a very large, uh, uh, trade show here in Atlanta, mostly for mom and pop stores around the country. It's called the International Home and Gift Market. Oh, yeah. It comes twice a year, pre-COVID, exactly. uh, no, when it was really yeah. big. Uh, yeah, in January and July. So here it was, maybe late April or May. We had a product. We started to get a label created. We had a logo. We kind of thought we had something, and we said, you know, let's jump off the deep end of the pool and let's get a booth at this show in july so here we are six eight weeks out from the show they have a gourmet food floor at this show so we went in we figured out how to register for a booth pay for a booth and in july 11th i guess it was we considered that our birthday of 2013 was the day one before my birthday there you have it and and we 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 you know Put together, uh, you know, we got some banners made, some flyers made, and here we showed up at the International Home and Gift Market with a company that was barely 12 to 15 weeks old with one product and two guys called Pickled Pink Foods, and we ended up picking up 93 clients in 19 states, clients meaning different mom and pop, gourmet, you know, shops around us, mostly in the southeast. Uh, but it's but good stuff. Clients. I mean, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's a really yeah. good product. And, uh, and 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 as they say, uh, we were off and running from there. Um, of um, course, we may have made the mistake by saying, "Well, this is easy," you know, which nothing's <laughs> ever easy. Uh, but uh, we were off and running. And so, with that, uh, 
you know, we began to work through that recipe book, find some more. Uh, our sweetie jalapenos and our spiced watermelon pickles was, you know, kind of the, the next incarnation of what we did. Backing up a little bit, though, with the name of Pickled Pink, we do get a lot of questions. Uh, we, we were able to trademark the tagline, Pickled for a Purpose. And so yeah. we do have a lot of people ask us what our purpose is. They kind of sometimes assume breast cancer due to the pink. Yeah, um, right. And for a brief moment, uh, in that April, May, as we kind of formed a company and we're trying to get ready for a show all in 10 weeks and create a website and create labels and product and everything, um, we thought maybe that's our purpose is we'll go meet with the Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and we were driving down Peachtree Road to the school, actually, and I looked at Charlie and said, you know, Charlie, um, we have a purpose or you have a purpose and at that point, about 12 to 15 years prior, uh, Charlie lost his son, Hunter, uh, and their family set up a hotline uh, called Hunter's Hotline for kids in Alabama to uh, pick up an anonymous call to, you know, connect with the police in case they get in trouble with or witness, you know, drugs, alcohol, gangs, bullying, all that stuff. So I said, you know, Charlie, we're trying to – you know, maybe maybe put a round peg in a square hole here with the breast cancer. Why can't the purpose be Hunter's Hotline and where we can donate a portion of the profits to uh, your family foundation that's already been set up in Hunter'sHotline.org? So, yeah, that's kind of and and you know, it's it's hard for Charlie to talk about, but it sometimes at trade shows when people ask, you know, it helps him as well talk about his only son that he lost. Uh, the night before or a couple days before going into his senior year in high school, mixing okay. drugs and alcohol together. So, um, and then since then we're, we're looking at, we're, we're, we're also the, the Stevenson family over in Alabama, um, partnered with a company called or a group called Felines and Canines. And the Felines and Canines group out of Chicago rescues, uh, stray dogs and cats. Um, and so they have now since also, uh, started and opened up a, I want to say maybe 12,000 square foot facility in Huntsville, and it's the Hunter Stevenson Felines and Canines Rescue Center. Um, so as we are going through a small brand metamorphosis right now, and we're actually just about two weeks away from launching a new version of our website, uh, you'll start to see some uh, promotion and or partnership with the Hunter Stevenson Felines and Canines Rescue Center in the Huntsville, Alabama area. As we now, move did forward, you, did you so. send? Did you think about sending any to the White House? Sending any what, sir? Did you Did you think about sending any any to the White House? They, they any of our Hunter, product? Yeah, they have a Hunter connection too. If you remember. Mm. Oh, Hunter, but no, no, yeah. not at all. No, we keep politics out of business, so uh, we we don't mix politics and business because it might not end up well. Let's just say that. So, uh, but yeah, so after 2013, like I said, we 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 launched our sweetie jalapenos, our watermelon. Um, we started out in a large 24 ounce jar, um, big, kind of really gourmetish, um, but realized it was kind of too big, kind of too bulky, kind of too heavy. And going to end up kind of be too expensive. We are all natural, and the difference between the cost of sugar, natural sugar versus corn syrup, 
is like night and day. And oh, yeah. The, yeah. the process to produce natural products versus products that contain sodium benzoate and yellow number five yeah. is quite expensive. So our product is not cheap. So we decided sometime around 2016 or 17 uh, that we were going to start creating a 16-ounce line as well. And at, for a while, we thought we would do both, 24-ounce line for kind of the mom-and-pop stores and a more grocery-friendly 16-ounce line, uh, you know, that's a little bit lighter, a little bit cheaper for us to produce, therefore to sell, and therefore it would end up being on the retail shelves cheaper and what we ended up finding uh, probably six months after we launched our 16-ounce line in conjunction with the 24 ounces is that we had probably half of the, you know, mom and pops that were buying 24-ounce switched to the 16-ounce line. Oh, wow. So ultimately, we ended up discontinuing that larger jar sometime in 2017 or 18. Um, we're 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 still a pretty small company, and to yeah, be able to yeah, have I mean, that, it's a good thing that you had so much experience because you moved pretty fast in the year. Well, we did. One of the things <laughs> that our philosophy was, and Charlie and I agreed to when we started, you know, there's two ways to do things. Well, there's three ways. There's the slow and low, like the turtle. There's the medium pace, and then there's the let's run like a rabbit. And we decided that if we were going to do this, we were going to run, and we were going to run pretty fast. So, you know, here we were 12 weeks old, and we were already at the Atlanta International Home and Gift Market. That next <laughs> June, where we weren't technically even one year old, because, again, we considered July 11th to be our birthday, that first day we showed up at Atlanta show, but by the following June, when we were 11 months old at that point, uh, we were we had a t uh, booth in the uh, Specialty Food Association New York Summer Fancy, Fancy food, food Show, yeah, and we were not even a year old. You and know, then I think we that's where I first picked you up, actually. It's could be, and then we were out at Expo Natural Products Expo West in Anaheim, and we went to Specialty Food San Francisco, and we were at Natural Products Expo East in Baltimore, and you everybody. Talk about the National Products thing a little bit. Well, Natural Products uh, is another t uh, trade show that features, you know, you have to apply to get in the Natural Products organization, so they have to approve that your products are natural. And, and so what it is, just another large national-style st trade show to get your product out no, in front the, of. No, the qualities, the uh, characteristics of your product that fit that. Oh, natural. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, the, the main thing that we like to say is our ingredients are clean, and people can read what's in our product. If you've ever picked up a can of food from the grocery store and looked at the ingredients or maybe a, uh, a frozen dinner, uh, unfortunately, I challenge you to be able to read and understand everything that's in <laughs> the ingredients in the actual product. But if you pick up a jar of our product, whether it's our original product, the sweet gourmet pickle, whether it's our smoking okra, whether it's our perfectly pickled oh, peach. Oh, that's the one I was interested you know. in, your smoking. We didn't get any of that. Yeah. Oh, you didn't get it? Well, I, I, at the time, I believe I was out. We had a little bit of an uh, okra shortage in the Eastern Hemisphere. But, um, but there's no but denying yeah, can, the, the profile is, is really southern flavor profile in, in the, the ones that I've um, – sweet and heat – 
right? Well, and, and you know, back in the old days is, is in the South, you know, you used products uh, like our watermelon rind pickle uses the white rind. So, uh, yeah, I told uh, you, know, you I haven't be, had any of that since my grandmother died. Right, and, and that came about is during the Civil War when, you know, food was getting scarce, especially in the South. Uh, folks had to learn how to use every part of the food products they had. And so that's how that product came about. Um, it is still continues to be one of our top sellers. Um, it is very unique. We are one of the few who actually make it naturally. There are other watermelon rind pickles out there, but if you look at the ingredients, you're going to find, again, sodium benzoate. You're going to find cane, uh, excuse me, corn syrup in there versus natural sugar. So one of the things we like to say about our products is that when you do eat and taste our products, whether it's by itself, whether it's on a sandwich, whether it's on a charcuterie platter, um, it tastes, you taste the actual product and ingredients because it's clean. It is easy, uh, and it's easy to discern what you're tasting. Um, and again, we challenge everybody to pick our label up and look at the ingredients, and you, you should be able to pronounce all four, five, six, eight items that might be in there. Uh, it's very simple. We should throw in that you're also a small batch and artisan crafted because that's become – everybody has to do that now to, to have a place on the shelf. Yeah, that. well, and that's – I love the peach. You love the peach. Yeah, the peach has become peach. our – the peach has become our number one selling item. Um, yeah, well. You know, and, and and although we are growing and getting bigger and have a much more larger national footprint, um, we still have a co-packer here in Atlanta uh, that we also use as our test kitchen, the one that we started with in 2013. Uh, she's actually moved, though, from northeast Georgia down into uh, in-town Atlanta. Um, they still pack everything by hand. Uh, they still cut everything by hand. There's no machinery, uh, especially when we're first uh, starting out with new items, uh, like the latest two items that we came out with, our honey cinnamon beets and our garlic oh, dill pickle. Oh, I didn't pickle. see that. It's a literature. Yeah, yes. so those, those are the last two. Yeah, those are the latest two that we came out with. And, and so those you are have still now one, two, there. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine varieties. Right. Oh. We, have, we, cur- we currently have nine uh, items that we produce, pack and ship nationally. Our goal is to get to 12 to 14. Uh, this past year at COVID kind of put a stall on that, um, partly because we use some of these larger national trade shows that we yeah, haven't been able to go to any. since last March. <laughs> we use those as kind of our, our test kitchen as well as when we make something. We don't even think about mass producing it until we get at least two straight back-to-back trade shows where we demo it to people and then we listen to what they say and kind of get the thumbs up because just because you like it, Ann, or I like it, or, you know, doesn't mean it's good for everybody. So we, right. we, we totally use the trade shows as our means as, as kind of to get the feedback uh, especially when we're rolling out new products. It's our way to kind of – and we've had failures. In fact, the first time we thought we had the cinnamon beet recipe correct, we brought it to a trade show. I think it was in Nashville. <coughs> Excuse me. And we put it out. You know, here's our five or six or seven regular items, and here's our two new items over here. They're not for sale yet. We just want to get your feedback. 
and we thought we had nailed the recipe finally on the honey cinnamon beets. And, and personally, I'm not a beet eater, so I'm not sure what to expect. I don't eat beets, neither does Charlie, but they are certainly requested a lot. Well, let me tell you, after about the first five people came by, first one said, ah, they're okay. Next one's like, yeah, could be better. We're like, all right, throw them out, start over. You know, that one didn't work, you know, and that's because we don't want to put something out there that most people are saying, oh, they're okay, you know. So, and again, that's what we use the trade shows for. So hopefully, as we get into the fall here of 2021, um, we can get back into at least a trade show or two to start maybe presenting a couple of new items to uh, help spruce up the set. Um, yeah, the you know, so. Specialty Food Association is going ahead with its SOFIs. I, I don't know the timing on that, but they're having them. They are going ahead with their SOFIs, and then they are going to be doing a show week three of September at the right. Javits Center. Um, right. We are registered to go to it. I would say it's probably 50-50 that's going to go off, but that's yeah, better than 10-90. They've been using you know. it for vaccination center. Right. You can <laughs> you can get a shot and taste the pickle all at the same time. You know, so. <laughs> so we'll see. And, and the same thing with natural products. Natural products is doing just one show this year, too. And it is also week three of September, about, a, like, I think three days prior to fancy food. So I'm sure some of the big companies can afford to do both shows and send people and have two it's different expensive. booths set up. I mean, it's really expensive. Very I expensive. thought one of the best things, uh, the best yeah. things that they did was that um, the new food with the, the cheaper rates for the um, fancy food show. I thought that was a very yeah, good yeah. Food. The new the new brands on the shelf. That's yeah, how right, we. That that's one. our first time there. Is what we did. It's about half the price. Now you get just a little five foot area, but that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. You know. So, so we are right now hoping to be able to get to New York in week three of September, uh, not only just to get back out there and, and remind people that we're still kicking and going, but also to hopefully uh, demo one or two of our new items that we've kind of worked on, but not gone any further with because we've had nobody really to. In no one of any mass, uh, let's just say not nobody. We can always find friends and family, but you know sometimes your friends and family aren't as honest with you as you want them to be. So that's why <laughs> we like to go to trade shows and let a random stranger come taste this and tell us for real what it's like. You know, no no harm, no foul, no hard feelings, and uh, it's our best way of learning. So okay, well um, we we have one final thing for you to spread the news about is how do you get these? So as far as for uh, getting our pickled pink products, we are in quite a few national retailers now, mostly east of the Mississippi. Uh, in the south, you can find us in a good bit of Publix's in the state of Georgia, Fresh Market, all of the Ingalls markets, all of the Harris Teeters. Uh, as you move up into the Midwest, we are in Meyer, which is mostly in the yeah. Michigan, Illinois area in Ohio. Uh, Lums and Barley's, which is up in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. We are. Uh, we're in Acme Fresh Market, which is in Ohio. And we do our website, uh, besides being on Amazon. And there are a few other people that sell our stuff on Amazon. We're not one of those companies that tells people you can't sell our stuff. Our, th- our theory is is if you want to buy it and then resell it, then God bless you. You know, there, Are they uh, squeezing so you? you? Who, uh, Amazon? 
be out already, the people that they're sponsoring. No, I mean, I mean, some people are, someone once told me, I saw a jar of your pickles on Amazon for like $15 a jar, and I'm like, well, it's not me selling it. Don't buy it. Buy it from me. It's $7 if you buy it from me. So, <laughs> and you know, on our website of pickledpinkfoods.com, we get lots of traffic, lots of comments, um, and, and we're excited about, you know, we're excited about, like I said, we're, we're, Working with a new marketing company, a small group, another artisan group out of Texas. Uh, they're a little bit younger, so they understand some of the social media and uh, all that fun stuff. Uh, I'm in my 50s. Charlie's in his 70s. So let's just say that this group is a lot younger uh, yeah. <laughs> than what we are and completely understand this world of Instagram and, and Facebook, obviously, and, and social media and marketing and, that And route, preferences. So. I mean, there's such a difference in terms of preferences for exactly. For the, uh, so they're they're going to be they're going to be taking over our 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 marketing and also, like I said, we're doing a complete overhaul and redo of our website. Our website. This is our second iteration of our website, but it was built or redone. Let's just say five years ago. And just like kind of the iPhone, when the iPhone 6 came out, everybody thought, oh, my God, this was the greatest. And here we are five years later, and the iPhone 6 is obsolete. And I think they're on the iPhone 12, if I'm not mistaken. I, I don't uh, so, know, but we've so, had the same problem yeah. with our website. We're yes, always behind so, what everybody yes. expects. And I mean, so, goes web, so goes websites and web stores and the platform yeah. that we were built on five years ago was certainly a good platform but now it's sort of obsolete, and so we are working on this new group. Only works on the latest, greatest platform, which, uh, you know, again, you don't know till somebody tells you. And then we reconfirmed it with two other people, and we're like, okay, wow, we do need to flip this website onto something different. So we're looking for a – the goal was April 1st. We may run up against the back end of a park car, but I would say by week one or two we should have a completely new, highly optimized, faster – speedier checkout website at pickledpinkfoods.com for everybody to enjoy. Well, once again, it's a good product. And uh, Jim Lawler, uh, you've done good with the interview. Thank you. And you can, well, you thank you very take, much. Take, take, a, take a tip from Peter. I, I, I love to finish out the jar of solid pickled peaches, but, but then I top it up with sparkling water, and it's just oh, is got, that what that is? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, this half, half a bottle of pickled pink syrup. <laughs> there you go. Throw a little vodka in there. Now. You make you a nice happy hour cocktail, too. Yeah. So, it's not going to make it beyond the day, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all very much. Thank you got you, my email Jim. and phone number if you need to call me, okay? So they may not know how to vote in Georgia, but they sure know how to make pickles. So uh, we'll. They voted all right. We've got, we'll we've got that taken care of. And we'll see what happens on the menu radio next week. And until then, bye bye.